Well, good morning. Welcome today. Um, if you're a guest with us, my name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're really glad you're with us today. Advent is such a wonderful time to join together as we celebrate the fact that we have a Savior who has come and that we also have a Savior who will come again. Amen? So we're so thankful for that as we gather on this second Sunday of Advent to worship our risen Lord and Savior. If, um, it's good to be back. If you're regular, um, Thank you for uh, the prayers, the cards, support. Um, we're really grateful. <laughs> it was supposed to go smoother than that. You know, I've, uh, over the last four years, I've walked with many of you on this journey. Now you're walking with us and we're, we're grateful for that. I can't imagine trying to journey through all of this without God and without the church. And really that's why we do so much of what we do. It's why we're collecting money for Evergreen and the gifts of hope because we want families just down the road from us who are going through challenges of life, we want those people to know that we have a God who loves them very much. That's why the, I believe is it, Eileen, where are you at today? I know you're here. Is it 158 families? 165. More than you last told me, 165 families who are receiving the, the cupcake gifts through Northwest Connect. You know, we just uh, thank you for your generosity with that. But we want to pray that that little blessing of a holiday treat this time of year would also be an example of the love of God for those families. And so as those gifts of, of, of holiday treats go to those families, would you just be praying that they would experience that as a gift of God's love for them? So just be praying for those families uh, this, in these coming, coming weeks. Also, some of you have been praying for people in your life who, who need to know and experience the love of grace of God. And I just encourage you, you know, next Sunday, our, our children are going to be leading us in part of our worship. And so you will not want to miss that next Sunday. And if you have somebody that you've been praying for, maybe it's a family member, a neighbor, a friend, that you've just been praying that there'd be an opportunity to invite them to church, next Sunday could be a great week to do that because uh, our kids are going to be in here with us and it's a wonderful time to, to celebrate with that. So just a, just a reminder uh, of that as well. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. And if you're able to today, I just ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew 
In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say together, thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I've shared this with some of you already, but some people have said to me uh, over the last week and a half or so, you know, this must be a really difficult time to lose your mom. And it is a difficult time. It was hard with all of the memories, with the family celebrations, and, and all of those things that we like to do this time of year. But as I've been going through this some of the last couple of weeks, I've also been very grateful for this time of year. I've been grateful for this season of Advent. You know, Advent is one of those times during the year that reminds us of some of what is always true. You know, sometimes we need reminders to remind us of how things really are because we can just kind of get caught up in life and forget. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like when you have guests who come into your home and you're reminded that there are those places where you take shortcuts cleaning, right? And you hope the guests don't notice those places. It's good to have company to remind us that we shouldn't always take shortcuts when it comes to cleaning, right? Or like when you go to the doctor and even though you've been walking every single day for the last week and you've avoided sweets for the last week, the scale still says a number you don't want it to say, right? There are those times that remind us of what is really true. Advent's one of those times, but in the best sense possible. Advent reminds us about some of the truths of who God is and the ways that God reaches out to us. At the center of Advent is Emmanuel, God who is with us. God who has come to be with us because God is love. God doesn't just act in loving ways. God is love. And there's a whole lot there, and we don't have a lot of time to really talk about that today. 
God is love, and so God acts in these, in these ways. And, and Advent, every year we say, you know what? This is so important that we need to set aside time. We're going to set aside four weeks every year to intentionally remind ourselves about some of these things about God that are so important that we can't ever forget them. Last week, the first Sunday of Advent, we remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I've said this to some of you, but if there was no pain and if there was no darkness, there would be no need for hope. But we have hope. Hope that God is going to complete God's restorative work. But the hope that we have in God is not just wishful thinking because the hope that we have in God is rooted in what God has already accomplished in the past. Amen? So it gives us a sense of confidence as we long for what it is that God will do. Well, in addition to hope, we have, we have peace. That's the Sunday today. And then next week is, is joy and then love. You know, I, I'm grateful to journey through this season of mourning and grieving, being reminded that we have a God who is with us. And that we have a God who gives us hope in the midst of all of the challenges that we face in life. And that we have a God who brings peace into this broken world. I've been thinking some about what does peace mean for us today? What does peace mean for my family and for myself who lost my mom just a week and a half ago? What does peace mean for the Grove family? Some of you haven't even heard yet because we haven't even had time to get a message out. But Friday afternoon, Dick Grove suddenly and unexpectedly died. What does peace mean when we go through loss and brokenness? What does peace mean when we live in a community and in a country and in a world in which you don't need me to tell you there is so much brokenness all around us, right? What does peace mean in the midst of, of all of these situations? Sometimes when we think about peace, we, we think that peace means the absence of conflict. And that is an element of peace. And we continue to pray for the war in the Ukraine to cease, right? We long for that kind of peace, you know, there's other times when people talk about peace and they think that peace is this sense of, of stability or tranquility or calmness in life. And that can be an element of peace. But when Scripture is talking about peace, those aren't the primary things that Scripture is talking about. I think actually Matthew's gospel demonstrates this so very well for us. We read in Matthew chapter 3 just a few moments ago, and if we would go back earlier in the gospel, Matthew kind of paints this picture for us. Matthew actually begins with the genealogy, which actually shows that, that this is part of the ongoing work of God that God has been doing all along. And then Matthew begins by announcing to, do you remember who the, announce, the, the angel comes to announce the birth of the Messiah to in Matthew's gospel? It's Joseph, right? In Matthew's gospel, the angel comes to Joseph. And one of the things the angel tells Joseph is that this child who is to be born will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's so central to the season of Advent and Christmas that, that God has come to, to be with us. 
In Matthew's gospel, after Jesus is born, the next part we see is the Magi coming to visit Joseph and Mary and, and baby Jesus. And when the Magi come to visit, Herod gets wind that this Messiah has been born. And when the Magi go back a different way, do you remember what Herod does? Herod is so afraid that he might lose his power that he issues an order that all of the babies in the vicinity of Bethlehem be killed. And in this context, Matthew quotes Jeremiah and talks about how there is great weeping and great mourning. The coming of the Messiah, God who is with us, surrounded by great weeping and great mourning. You know, and yet in light of all of this, as we look back throughout scripture and we reflect on the coming of Jesus Christ, one of the names that we have for him is the Prince of Peace. What does that mean for us? God has come into this broken world and not only do we see the brokenness in scripture, but we look in the world around us and there's still a lot of brokenness in the world today, right? So what does it mean to say that the Prince of Peace has come? Well, biblical peace really is a lot about being made whole. It's about wholeness. It's about restoration. And being made whole is not always easy. We see that through the life of Jesus. Jesus had to suffer and die for us to receive the forgiveness and work of his grace within our lives. Amen? Wholeness is not always easy. Restoring relationships with others is not always an easy process. Restoration isn't always easy, but, but the peace that God talks about is this peace of being made whole, of being restored, of being renewed. And we see that some in these verses that we read from Matthew's gospel as John the Baptist is proclaiming this message. You know, this is a, it's a familiar passage. It's a passage that we often think about this time of year as we, we find ourselves in this season of Advent, which, you know, Advent looks two directions, right? Advent looks back, it, it, it looks back to, to the truth that we have a Savior who's come, but it also looks ahead to that time when our Savior will come back again. And so it's this season of examination, of, of preparation, of anticipation, because we are a people who want to be ready for the coming of our Messiah. Amen? And so we come before and we, we allow ourselves to, to examine, to look, and to, to ask God to work within us. And so in this message, John, uh, John the Baptist kind of talks about several different things here. First of all, we're told that he dresses in a unique way. <laughs> right? He dresses in a unique way. I mean, I know all of those ways probably seem strange to us now, but, but you know, John was the kind of person, you know, if, if he was standing up in front of us today in whatever the contemporary version of John's clothes would be, we'd say, where did he get that from? Right? But even John's mannerisms, where he was and what he did, calls up to us the reminders of the prophet Elijah. Reminds us of the prophet Elijah. And then in John's words, John talks about Isaiah, and he talks about Abraham. I've been thinking about that a little bit this week. 
You know, Abraham was the one where God was the one to whom God first gave the covenant. God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all of your descendants will be blessed through me. And you in turn are to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. God called Abraham this nomad with no family, with no future, with no nothing to come after him. And God gave him an identity and God gave him a future. And this future would come to be the people of Israel. But even when the people of Israel would turn their back on God, God would never turn his back on them. We see that through the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. As God would continually reach out to his people and invite them to come back and to be restored and to be renewed, to restore that relationship, to be made whole once again. These messages are kind of alluded to here in what John is saying to us as he's inviting the people to receive the grace of God that's been present and available all along. And we're told that John was, was doing all of this in the wilderness, which as we look in scripture, the wilderness is this, this place where transformation tends to happen. The wilderness is this place where God's formative work is upon God's people. We, we find that throughout scripture from the Old Testament into the New Testament. But this formation or this transformation never comes about easily. We can go back and look at all the examples through journeys in the wilderness and it continues to happen this way. And it's in this place where, where John is, is preaching this message of repentance. Now, as I look around today, I know there's a lot of you who've been in the church for a while, right? When is it that we usually talk about repentance or think about repentance? Typically, we, we talk about the idea of repentance at the beginning of one's faith journey, right? It's usually when we think about repentance. We think about repentance is at, at the beginning of someone's journey. And so we think about things like guilt and and judgment, and moral fault, and, and therefore there's a need for repentance. And that's true. There, there is, repentance is an important part of, of the early part of one's journey of faith. But you know, I want to suggest today that repentance doesn't stop there. That repentance isn't just a part of the early time of one's journey of faith, but Repentance is a companion for the entire journey of one's faith. Because I don't think repentance is primarily about getting rid of feelings of guilt. As much as repentance is about the power of God to transform our lives. Repentance is about opening ourselves to allow God's transformative work to work within us and work through us. And this journey of faith is really about allowing God's grace to continue to form and transform us to be people who reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so repentance is a part of this journey for us. It's, it's, a, it's a turning away from what we did before, but it's also turning towards what it is that God wants to do in us. 
fixing our eyes on him and, and, and setting ourselves wholeheartedly to live for Jesus Christ so our lives can continue to experience that sanctifying grace of God within us so that we can be more and more and more like Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's my desire, to be more like Jesus. And God's not done with that work in any one of us yet, is he? You know, this side of eternity, we continue to mature and grow. And so we pray that, that God would work in us. And we continue this journey of saying, God, where are those places where I need to be made whole? God, where are those places where my life needs to be transformed by your grace? So I can live more fully in alignment with you, but also so that not only is my love for you continue to grow, but my love for those around me continues to grow as well. So that we can be the people God's called us to be. So that we can be whole. So that we can live in peace. In right relationship with God and with those around us. Amen? You know, that's this invitation that we have on this second Sunday of Advent to ask God, where are those places in our lives where we need to experience God's grace fresh and new? Where are those areas in our lives that need to be made whole so that the love of God can flow through us to those around us? You know, as we long for God to do that work in us, we also know that that God's already conquered sin and death. And so that the power of the, the new creation work of God can be at work within us here and now. You know, every year when we come to this Advent season, I often think about the imagery of the light shining in the darkness. How the light of Christ has come into a dark world. As you can probably imagine, I'm thinking of that maybe even more so this year. How does the light shine in the midst of dark times and dark places? And I say that realizing I'm not the only one to experience loss. So many of you have experienced loss this year or in previous years. How does the light shine in the midst of those places? You know, as I think about Advent, as I think about the coming of Christ into this world. So I think about Christmas and, and all that it means for us. You know, there's a couple of things that I'm reminded about. In scripture, darkness is never explained, but it is defeated. Right? We're never given the why for all of this, but we do know that it does not have the final say. Darkness is, is, is never justified, but, but darkness is endured until the time when the light overcomes it. You know, John's gospel tells us that Jesus came, that the light of the world or the light has come into the darkness of this world. And no matter how dark that darkness might seem in places, what does John tell us? The darkness cannot overcome the light. And wherever we're at in life, 
and in this journey of faith, the light of our Savior is shining in this world. And it meets us in those dark places. And we may have to endure some of this darkness for a time. But when all is said and done, darkness will not prevail. The light will prevail. And that gives us hope. And that invites us into this restorative work of God that gives us peace as we live in right relationship with God and with others. Amen? Let me pray for us today. Lord, we thank you today that you're a God who hasn't stayed far off, but that you have come to meet us right where we are. And Lord, today as we find ourselves in the midst of this season of Advent, we rejoice that you are Emmanuel, God who's not far from us, but you are God who is with us. And Lord, as we are reminded of the hope that we have, hope that is certain of the future to come. And God, as we long for peace, to be made whole, to be restored by your grace and power at work within our lives. Lord, we also come as a church who desires these things not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Lord, we pray today for our families. We pray for our friends. We pray for our neighbors. We, we pray for the families through Evergreen Middle School who will be blessed in these coming weeks. We, we pray for the families who are going to receive the 165 cupcake kits through Northwest Connect. Lord, we pray for all of those that you allow us to interact with. God, we pray that your love and grace would be made known. And so God, as we gather today, we are so thankful that your light endures. And because you've already overcome sin and death, that we can have the hope and peace that comes from you. So Lord, today we just say thank you for your faithfulness to us. And thank you for journeying with us and for holding us and for inviting us to experience the wholeness that comes from you. In your name we pray, amen. The song we're going to sing is the beginning of your response to that message. As part of the song it says, if you want my heart, you got it. That's really a rhetorical question because God wants your heart. He's made that abundantly clear by pursuing you through the gift and sacrifice of Jesus. So I encourage you to respond to this message, respond to the call of God today through this song and let it carry you to continue responding throughout the week in your life to receive the shalom of God, that peace that makes us whole receive the peace of God that says love, that says you're okay, you're good, I love you. To receive that peace of God that says, yep, that's a big problem and I've got it covered. I'm going to carry you through it. Yep, you're really in a fire and I'm standing there with you. 
So I encourage you to find a, a place of, of surrender this morning, to surrender whatever is in your life and to say, here it is, Lord. I receive more of you, more of what you say, more of who you are. You could do that in your seats. You could do that standing, kneeling, and the altars are a wonderful place. Sometimes we need that, that action of coming forward to a place and laying something down. Or just coming before and kneeling, saying, yes, you are God, you are good. This is a mess, but you are good. My heart is broken, but you are love and you are in it and working. So let's respond to the call of God together as we sing. You 
The Prince of Peace came so that we could be restored, so that we could live in right relationship with God and with one another. And we can't do that on our own, but thanks be to God, we're not alone. Amen? So would you stand and join me for our, our benediction today? As we go, we acknowledge that we can't do this. We can't live godly lives through our own strength and power. We need God's grace and we also need one another. And as we go, may you go in the grace and peace that comes through our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.